The title of this message is Joy to the World. This is obviously a Christmas sermon. Our Ventura campus will be joining us for this. Let's have another. We love them. Ventura. And let's open up to everybody's favorite Christmas text, 1 Peter chapter 1. That was a joke. Nobody thinks this is a Christmas text but me, but I will show you how this text is all about Christmas. 1 Peter chapter 1 in your Bibles. I will be reading and teaching from the New Living Translation this morning just because I like it in 1 Peter. This is a rather verbose passage, and uh, New Living Translation makes it plain and clear. It's very helpful. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read a lengthy section, verses 3 through 16. We'll put it on the screen for you as well. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And you love him, even though you've never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now, you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And this is God's holy word. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in being able to read and hear and receive your word this morning. And we ask that by the work of the Holy Spirit, 
your word would do an effective work in us, that it would bring life transformation, that it would bring conviction of sin, that we'd be encouraged where we're discouraged, strengthened where we're weak, enlightened where we feel like we're in darkness, that your word would truly be living and active and do a wonderful thing in us. So Lord, give us ears to hear your word this morning and please God, Anoint me, help me to teach it and preach it in a way that's faithful to you and helpful to these men and women whom I love. We ask it together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, did you see, as I was reading the text, how that's a Christmas text? Did you see it? Did anybody see it? Listen, you saw it. There's two strong themes in this text among others. They are joy and waiting. Right, it talks about we're going to have to wait. We look eagerly forward to expectation. This idea of waiting is there and waiting is a Christmas thing. We're all waiting for Christmas right now. Think about your kids and their anticipation and even big kids' anticipation. And that's part of the historic posture of the church. That's what Advent is about, right? Advent means appearing or coming and the church celebrates Advent, a time where we join with ancient Israel and experiencing the process of waiting for God's promises to come true in the first coming of the Messiah. And then as a church, we also think about the second coming of the Messiah. Waiting is in this text, but joy is there too. Joy is there as well. The joy that God has promised us in Christ and joy is a Christmas thing, right? Joy is a Christmas thing. Think about it if you were so lucky that some people would come Christmas caroling at your door this year. Remember when people used to do that? Anybody here going Christmas caroling this season? Two, three of you. Hundreds of people here, only three of us going caroling. See, it's a thing of the past. God bless you guys, have fun. But let's pretend we lived in olden days and someone came to our door and they were Christmas caroling. What song would they be sure to sing? Joy to the world. You guys got it. A little bit of a hint there, but you got it. Joy to the world. Why? Because joy is a Christmas thing. Why? Because on that first Christmas Eve, it was joy that was announced to the shepherds by the angels about the coming of Jesus the Messiah. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Don't be afraid, the angel said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. The announcement about Jesus coming. After all the millennia of waiting for the promised Savior, the one who would rescue Israel, the one who would deliver Israel, the one who would forgive her of her sins, the one who was the fulfillment of all the pictures in the temple and the sacrifices and all that they had been through. It was announced that evening as great joy. And so the kingdom of God is one of joy. And we who then believe, Jesus followers, we who've put our faith in Jesus, we have been brought into a kingdom of joy. We were delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son, which is a kingdom of joy. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 says as much. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, 
but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. Think about the end game, right? That's the entrance into the kingdom. We, we enter through Christ and faith in him into this kingdom of joy. But think about the end game as pictured in the little book of Jude, the last two verses. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. See, the scriptures are clear that we who believe have been brought into a kingdom of joy. And throughout the scriptures, we see that joy is a promise from God and a prayer for God's people, a gift that God has given to those who follow Christ. Isaiah 29, 19. The humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord. And we've got to humble ourselves to follow Christ, right? We've got to humble ourselves, confess that we are sinners, deny ourselves to follow Christ. Look at that beautiful phraseology. The humble will be filled with fresh joy. Who doesn't need fresh joy at Christmas? Filled with fresh joy from the Lord. It's from the Lord. Romans 15, 13, this prayer for us. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've entered into a kingdom of joy. We have the promise and the gift and and the prayers of joy all because joy has been brought to us in the person of Christ. And so we, as God's people now, here's where it's gonna get sticky. We, as God's people, are called to practice joy. We're called to practice joy. Psalm 100 sets up the idea. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. There's a call. There's a command. There's an invitation. And then who could forget Philippians 4.4? Rejoice in the Lord always, always, always. Again, I say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5 reverberates and says, rejoice always. Always pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So we have a kingdom of joy, joy announced joyfully to the shepherds by the angels. We have the promise and the prayers of joy and we as God's people are called to practice joy. Well, that's all fine and good. But what about real life? What about real life? I mean, doesn't joy sometimes seem to be an elusive thing for us? What about real life? You know, life is not always a joyful affair. Life is often sad. Life is often hard. Life can be heartbreaking. Now, I'm thinking about joy. The scriptures don't deny that. The scriptures aren't naive and the scriptures are not happy clappy and the scriptures are not calling Christians to pretend there's something that there isn't or something is not that is. Weep with those who weep. We have the book of Lamentations. We have the Psalms of grief. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Sorrow and sadness are a 
a real part of life. And oftentimes, things in this lifetime don't go our way. Can I get a witness? Sometimes things just don't go our way. And so we're bummed when this happens. Because you know what we've been led to believe? We've been led to believe that life is about happiness. We've been told in our constitution that that's, that's a, a guarantee, the, the pursuit of happiness. But do you realize that we were never told in scripture to pursue happiness? We're never told that in scripture. Nor are we promised by God happiness in scripture. We spend a lot of our time trying to make ourselves happy. And that's mostly a circumstantial thing. Right? We're happy when things go our way. Happiness has to do with things going our way. And so we spend all sorts of resources and money and times and effort. We will manipulate. We will twist. We will connive. We will do whatever we can to get things to go our way so we can be happy. Happiness is about things going our way. But you know, joy, the scriptures do promise, is something altogether different. Joy is not about things going our way. Joy is about us going God's way and about what God has brought to us in Christ. You see, it's a deeper thing than mere happiness. And we have been deceived by our culture and our constitution and our own selves to think that the main pursuit is happiness. There's something different. There's something deeper. It's not about getting our way. It's about going God's way. So, how might we then begin to experience this kingdom, this promise, this prayer, this call of joy in the Lord? Life is hard. It doesn't always go our way. How can we begin to experience the joy of the Lord? Well, that's what was in this Christmas text. The first thing that we saw there was that experiencing joy involves waiting on a promise. Now, I know we don't usually equate the words waiting with joy, but that's the truth of Christianity. Experiencing joy involves rightly, faithfully waiting on certain promises. Let's read verses three through five again. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, We live with great expectation. That's waiting language. It's phrased positively, but that's waiting language nonetheless. We live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. It's not yet. It's future. Waiting. But look at what it says about it. It's pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. The scriptures say that the normal posture of the Christian life is one of waiting. Israel's experience was waiting for the promised Messiah, Christmas. The church's experience is waiting for the return of the Messiah, also Christmas. And we have this promised inheritance that comes along with it. When Christ returns to establish his kingdom and fullness, undo everything that has ever gone wrong and set all things right. 
The Christian is always waiting for that day. It says there in verse 5 that it's at the end, ready to be revealed on the last day. This inheritance, this, these promises that are ours in Christ, says there that they're pure and undefiled. I want you to think about that for a moment. Everything that we touch or are touched by in this lifetime is impure and defiled to some degree. Everything in this world has been touched by the effects of sin. Everything that we'll acquire, every position that we'll attain, every relationship that we enter into, all of them have in some way to some degree been touched and tainted by the effects of sin. But there is coming a day where that is no longer the case. There is coming a promise and a reality and an existence where our very being and experience is pure and undefiled. Says there, quote, beyond the reach of change and decay. Beyond the reach of change and decay. Listen, I'm expecting some good stuff for Christmas this year. Sweetheart, I'm expecting some good stuff for Christmas this year. No matter how good it is, I know that anything I get this Christmas is going to eventually begin to decay. It's going to change. It's going to rust. The law of entropy will set in. Set in. Things will begin to wind down and, and break apart. That's just the way stuff is in this world. Right? You, you do the dusting and the cleaning and you come back the next day dusting and cleaning. You get the rust off of your Harley and you come back a few days later, you got to polish the chrome again. Even our relationships feel like they begin to decay and break down. Everything in this world does that. But there is coming a day. There is coming an existence, a reality in Christ in the fullness of his kingdom where all of our lives are beyond the reach of change and decay. Therefore, it says we live with great expectation. This is part of how we experience the promised kingdom joy in this lifetime is rightly thinking about the existence to come in Christ. Because this life can be hard and it can be discouraging. Things don't always go our way. So we go God's way by rejoicing in what he'll do. I want us to read a little snippet from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35, just 10 verses. Some beautiful figurative language here. We'll get the point. All about restoration. When God restores all things, we'll put it on the screen for you. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. All about when God restores all things. Look at, just, just try to catch the vibe and, and the character and the quality of what this life with God will be like. It says in verse, or chapter 35, verse 1 of Isaiah. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing for joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel for the or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. 
And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf and the lame will leap like a deer and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the highway of holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It'll be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beast. Listen, there will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. This is the promised inheritance that we believers have in Christ Jesus. That there is coming this day where he will undo the effects of sin. Set right everything that has gone wrong and places and spaces of our lives and existence that were once broken and barren will be watered and fruitful and there'll be no danger. Peace on earth. Amen. And so then, the first point of the text and how we can begin to, even in dark days, experience this joy is to look forward to these promises. Got to read your Bible, they're there. Look forward to these promises. And sometimes that's a real discipline. If you're anything like me, you can get caught up in the drama of today, in the last conflict, the the last disappointment, the last failure, the last didn't go my way. But you see how the text is calling us upward, further up and further in? I see how the text is, is calling us beyond to transcend, to set our minds on the heaven where Christ is and not merely on the disappointing things of this world. This is the first step to experiencing promised joy. The second step seen in the text is realizing this, that experiencing joy involves experiencing some pain. There's a cold hard truth. Verses 6 and 7 of 1 Peter 1. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. I love the honesty of Christ and the Bible. Jesus said to us, in this world, you will have trouble. He also said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And the scriptures don't try to deceive us and the scriptures aren't naive at all. We're gonna have difficult times in this world. If someone ever told you that following Jesus will get rid of your problems, they lied to you. Jesus said to his followers, in this world, you will have trouble. And the text here says and confirms, life is going to be hard. I like how it gives us the eternal perspective. 
It says there's wonderful joy ahead in verse six, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Trials never feel like a little while. When you're in the midst of them, it feels as though the hours crawl by. There are times that are so dark when you don't want the sun to come up tomorrow. And it seems as though the night lasts forever, but when the sun finally comes up, sometimes it feels like the day just meanders painfully on and on. There are trials that are so real, so profound, that it almost seems insulting to say, for a little while. And yet the Bible is always calling us upward. Always beckoning us to transcend with truth. That compared to the eternal promises of God and the inheritance that is ours in Christ, these sufferings are just a little while. In fact, Paul the Apostle would say, I don't even consider these present sufferings worthy to be compared. He called the things that he went through profound pain and suffering, temporary, light, momentary affliction. And that's nice and happy, and yet affliction nonetheless. Pain nonetheless. There are going to be times of trial and sometimes testing. Not everything that we go through is necessarily a test. You know, sometimes we make bad choices and big messes and deal with it. Sometimes, though, God will ordain difficulties for our lives. Let me say it again because that's a hard truth. Sometimes God will ordain difficulties for our lives. There are certain things that God will bring and allow into our lives that test our faith, push us to the very edge of belief and trust. And he does so as a loving father. Think of it this way. My sweet little Fifi, 21 months old, my little Fifi, who's just the greatest thing on earth. Um, You know, she's 21 months old, so she she walks now. She's learning to run. She does this waddle when she runs side by side. She's learning to run. She's learning to climb. She loves getting up on tables and ledges and furniture. Don't tell her, but her grandfather got her a tricycle for Christmas. Don't tell her. And so she's going to be learning to ride this tricycle. And so because she's learning to run and she's learning to climb and she's going to be figuring out how to ride a tricycle and go fast, there's going to be a lot of mishaps along the way. There's going to be a lot of pain. It's already happening. She's always got scraped knees and little bruises and cuts on her elbows. I secretly love it because she always comes and goes, owie, and it means daddy kiss it. I love it. Don't tell her. But she's learning to walk and she's learning to run and she's learning to climb higher and she'll be figuring out how to go faster and further. And so she's going to fall. She's going to experience pain. There's going to be scary moments. I'll tell you what the father never does. I don't lock her in her crib. I don't strap her forever in her little baby carrier. I let her run. I let her climb. I let her ride. I let her go faster and further. I know she's going to fall. 
I'm going to feel every boo-boo she gets. But she learns in that pain. Father loves you. He will feel every boo-boo of yours. But he's going to let you learn to run. He's going to let you climb and fall down. You'll experience some mishaps going faster and further. But the hope of the text is that during these times of testing, our faith is being refined. You know what that means? That means that as we experience the Father picking us up, embracing us, carrying us, walking through it with us, our faith and our trust in him grows. And it's a precious thing. It's more precious than gold. Just as gold is only refined by fire, there are certain things in the Christian life that are only accomplished through suffering. And it's real pain. But in the economy of God, these are precious things. And it is as we go through those things with God, when we let him carry us and pick us up and walk us through those things, it is then that we experience joy as we learn to trust him more. As his faith deepens and blossoms and grows. Listen to me. Faith doesn't deepen and blossom and grow in easy times. It's not the way it works. It's in the valley of trouble. It's in the hard times where these things are accomplished. And, and, and part of learning to experience the joy of the Lord is embracing the work that God is often doing in our pain, in our trials. The psalmist was getting at this in Psalm 51 when he said, oh, give me back my joy again. Can you relate to that? Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Now look at the promise as it turns a corner in the 34th Psalm. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. There's a promise for the places of pain. When do do we look to him for help? It's not in the good times, it's in the hard times. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. Verse eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. When do we take refuge in him? In the difficult days, when we run to the Lord. Papa, I can't do it. It's too much. It's too hard. It's beyond me. Take refuge in the Lord. The joys of those who take refuge in him. Psalm 84, what joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. Those moments in life when we say, I'm at at the end of myself. I can't go on. I don't have any more. I can't do it. It's too much. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord. Next, we also see that experiencing joy involves then trust and faith. Verses eight and nine. You love him even though you've never seen him. That's faith language. Though you do not see him now, you trust him 
And you rejoice with the glorious inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. Experiencing joy involves faith and trust. It involves at some level agreeing with and surrendering to the fact that God is both sovereign and good. Nothing has escaped his loving gaze. Nothing has come our way that he's lost control on. He's sovereign and he's good. God is good at all times. Think of our Lord in Gethsemane who facing the cross and the weight of the sins of the world placed upon him said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. That was trust in the Father and his sovereignty and in his goodness. Not one of the nails was outside of the sovereign work of God. And his goodness, that God would accomplish good through that difficulty. Jesus, in looking his disciples in the face when he was going to ascend and depart soon, said in verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 22, excuse me, before the cross, so you have sorrow now. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. That's, that's the Christian life. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice and no one can rob you of that joy. Look at Romans 5 two. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Again, that, 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 the future reality of what we have in Christ. Now, here's the deal. Because this life is often hard, because this life feels long, because of the challenges to really get at these things, we need to nourish ourselves on God's truth always. Pastor Tim Chaddock a few weeks ago said, have you been listening to the news lately? Just promise me this, after you listen to the news, you'll read your Bible. We need to balance everything that's going on in this world with the hope that we find in the promises we have in Christ from the word of God. And all the messages that we're getting from media and culture and our own selves need to be balanced with the truth of the word of God. So the fourth point is that experiencing joy involves hearing truth. Verse 10 says, this salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Experiencing joy involves continually hearing and consuming truth. That's why you have always heard me call us to read the Bible. I spoke with uh, two couples in church a few weeks ago out in the hallway, and they said, you know, one of the things that we just, 
have always heard from you at this church is that we ought to read our Bibles and pray. That was a proud pastor moment. I can live with that. If that's what they got after their many years of reality, if that's what they're hearing reinforced over and over again, read your Bibles, I can live with that. Because we have no real hope of experiencing the joy of the Lord apart from a steady diet of the word of the Lord. No real hope. Some of you here, you call yourselves Christians, but you have no time in the word of God, no discipline practice, no regular consumption of God's word. You know what you have? You have a truncated, emaciated experience of Christianity. As Christians, we grow by the word of God. We are nourished on God's word. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It is in his word that Christ is fully and finally revealed to us that all of his promises are laid out. It's here that we find the premises of joy. It is here where we balance, where we even combat and negate the overwhelming stories and claims of culture with the everlasting, eternal, living, active word of God. Some of you are saying, I don't know about this kingdom joy that you're speaking this morning because you don't know what the scriptures say. This is a non-negotiable of Christian life. Christians read the Bible. That's surfers surf, teachers teach, cooks cook, mom's mother. Christians read the Bible. Jesus said in John 15, these things I have spoken to you, look, his word, these things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You see that clear connection between the words of Christ and the joy of Christ manifest in our lives? Look at Psalm 119, 143. As pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. That's a good one. I didn't know that was in the Bible. It's in there. As pressure and stress bear down on me. Can anybody relate? What do I do? Where do I find joy? I find joy in your commands, in your word. Man, that's counterintuitive. That's countercultural. Culture would say, look for joy here. Look for some ease there. Look for some release there. Look for some numbing there. Look for some whatever. There's a deeper promise in the word of God. Psalm 19, verse eight. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. Commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. And that kind of reminds us, calls to mind the final point. And this is a tough one. Experiencing joy involves obedience. Look at the last few verses, verse 13. It says, so in light of all this, think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now... 
You must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Experiencing joy involves obedience. Here's the disconnect for us. We often settle for this idea of happiness and the pursuit of happiness, as I previously said. And most often, the road to happiness is immediate gratification, the path of least resistance, the way of compromise. And sin almost always has a promise of short-term payoff. Scriptures are honest about this and call it the passing pleasures of sin. They're not naive, the scriptures. There's pleasure in it. But they're passing. And we have settled for this silly American thing called happiness when we're being called to this Jesus thing called joy. And because we're always just pursuing happiness, it's often the shortcut and the short sell and the sellout and the compromise and the easier way. And it's got that immediate payoff. And it's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. And we find that those things didn't satisfy us. We didn't find anything true or real or lasting or of worth in that rebellion. You know what Satan has told you and you know what culture preaches at us? That obeying Jesus is always gonna be a bummer. You know, religion has tried to tell us. It's tried to tell us that the commandments of the Lord are burdensome. And if you obey Jesus, your life is always going to be a boring bummer. You know what the Bible says? First John chapter 5, the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. In them we find freedom. And in obeying the Lord is the path of joy. Seldom is it the immediate gratification and the instant satisfaction. Seldom is it the path of least resistance. Never is it the way of compromise or the shortcut, but it is always the road of true joy in the Lord. That's why the prayer of the psalmist is, lead me in paths of righteousness for thy namesake. In his presence is the fullness of joy. We think that somehow the gospel has freed us to sin. But the truth is that the gospel has freed us from sin. From the penalty of sin. It's broken the power of sin. And it promises that one day in glory we will be free from the presence of sin. And if that's true of the cross and the gospel, then tell me how is the way of sin the road to joy? It isn't and we know it. But we forget that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of joy and that the joy of the Lord is our strength and that we're called into this place of joy. And we're busy trying to orchestrate lives and relationships so that things will go our way. But we don't discover joy in things going our way. We always discover joy when we go God's way.
Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. The gospel. Whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. And then it says, and whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Saved by grace and walking in obedience. Psalm 119. Joyful are people of integrity. Pause right there. You might be able to say, happy are people who cheat. That might be true in the immediate sense. They might have gotten ahead. They might have gotten more. Happy are people who cut corners to get their way. That might be true. But you can never say, joyful are those who cheat. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Now you see, we, that, that's truth. And we're nodding our heads and I'm with you. Well, what are we doing when we're sinning? We're, we're, we're refusing to believe that truth. We're selling out for happiness. We're not believing the path of joy. The God who gave his son for you loves you and his thoughts toward you outnumber all the sand on the beach and his plans for you are good. And so we settle for lesser plans. It's a ripoff. Christmas is reminding us that there is joy in the Lord. And that it's not about getting our way. It's about going God's way. Psalm 32, verse 11. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all you whose hearts are pure. Doesn't mean that it's going to be free of difficulty or pain. Think of Jesus, who endured the cross, Hebrews chapter 12 says, who endured the cross for the joy set before him. There it is. There's that duality, the, 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 the difficulty, the challenge, the pain, the sacrifice of the cross. And yet Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him that sinners might be reconciled to God. And so in the pattern of, cry, of Christ and his cross is the Christian life experienced. There's pain. There's sacrifice, there's difficulty, there is the way of the cross. But there is joy in the Lord. And that's what Advent means, that's what it promises. Forgiveness was brought to us in the first coming. Restoration of all things will be brought to us in the second coming. Therefore, because we've been forgiven and the power of sin is broken and we're looking forward to a sin-free, restored, everything right existence, we choose by the Spirit in us to live a different way. To go a different way. And we do so with great expectation, even though In this life, we have many trials, many tribulations, tests, and pains. That's why it was so important for those shepherds on that dark night that the angels appeared in the sky and said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of a great joy for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ Christ the Lord. 
And may the joy of the Lord be your strength. Thank you, Lord, for these promises and this invitation and this hope. We just ask the Holy Spirit, you would help us to experience, to discover, to move in the joy of the Lord. And that in our hard, weary lives, that would become our strength, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength. That you would help us with this now, Lord. Lord, show us where we need to joyfully wait. Show us where we just need to lean into in our places of pain. Help us. We believe you, but help our unbelief. Teach us to trust you. Fill our hearts and minds with your truth. Lord, may may the word of Christ dwell richly in us. And Lord, for me and everyone else here, where we have sold ourselves out to something less and we just need to repent and pursue obedience that we might experience joy, help us to do so. Thank you for your grace upon us. Thank you that you've given us your spirit to follow and obey you. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Will the Holy Spirit pour the love of the Father in our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen.